Hey, everybody. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural. Part two. Oh, geez, don't you know? It's a part two. Oh, oh my gosh. You betcha it is. We're going to go out on the boat today. And we're going to finish up our story about, uh, you know, that uh, real fine lady, Hella Crafts. I'm very interested. Maybe we should get a quick recap because, A, my memory is like a goldfish and maybe our listeners is too. Yeah. So where we left off in part one, which if you haven't listened to Do it. That, go back and listen to that. What are you doing here? Um, exactly. So what happened so far in this case is we got a good look at Hella, a flight attendant who married a pilot she met on the job, Richard Crafts. They had three children together. Richard is an absolute shitbag, multiple affairs, spent ungodly amounts of money on whatever and guns. She files for divorce after hiring a PI to gather evidence of his affairs in court. She was dropped off at her home on November 18th after arriving home from a European flight and was never seen again. But that's not the end. But that is not the end. Because then there wouldn't be a part two. That's right. I'm excited for part two. Let's get started. Booyah! November 18th was the last day anyone had ever seen Hella. So she disappeared. People are getting worried, except for Richard. And he's telling everybody different stories about where she was. And the nanny ended up calling the private investigator, Keith, and was like, hey, she was supposed to go to Richard's sister's house and she never showed up. And then near, um, like, in late November, I think in the last episode I said it was getting close to Christmas, but um, correction, that was incorrect. Um, Word gets out that she's missing and one of the snowplow drivers is like, hey, you know what? I saw something fishy the day after she went missing and the fishy thing was that he saw a man on a bridge with a wood chipper. Mm. And the police weren't really taking this seriously. Um, as we know, um, but Hella's friend, Leanna Johansson, also went to the police and told them that, you know, hey, in early November, Hella said as she was, you know, planning to break the news to Richard that she's filing for divorce, that if anything happens to me, it wasn't an accident. And we've said this before. If someone says that to a confidant or a close friend, red flag. Yeah, absolutely. The reddest of red flags. I I have another question. So you said that he was telling different stories to different people. So Mm -hmm. like that's another red flag. If if you can't get your story straight, then chances are you're lying or trying to manipulate something. 
So the police now are kind of starting to take this a little more seriously, and they bring Richard in for questioning on December 4th. And he agreed to take a polygraph, which he passed. But as we know, polygraphs aren't admissible in court and aren't always accurate. Yeah, I just learned this about polygraphs, by the way. In Mm -hmm. most countries, they're not even legal. The U.S. is one of the few countries where they are. Yeah, and what I and what I really think it is is it's just kind of like an interrogation tactic. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, and you and I have talked about this before. If you have anxiety or something, you might fail a polygraph even if you're innocent. Yeah, and I don't have like in depth knowledge of polygraphs, but. You know, even if you have anxiety and you're nervous, what they are supposed to do is ask you generic questions to establish a baseline. Yeah. So if you're nervous the whole time, you know, your baseline, you would think, should still be consistent with. In theory. When you're telling the truth. So I don't know. We digress. The report in the report, one investigator wrote, quote, Based on the polygraph examination and my numerous conversations with Mr. Crafts, he does not know where his wife is. And Seems a little sus. Okay. And that's just based off of the results from the polygraph because... <sighs> Maybe we should uh, list a little bit of a disclaimer here. Emily's voice has dropped down a few levels because uh, she's worried her son might wake up. So, is it is it noticeable? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. It's oh, fine. Okay. It's fine. Like I can amplify it up a little bit, but it's yeah. I anyway, know. I know why you're doing it. Hashtag just parenting things. Right. Um, so anyway, despite what this guy thought and the lack of leads, the police decide to bring. So he's let go. Um, and the police decide to bring Richard in for another round of questioning on December 11th. So just over a week later. Okay. Yeah. But this time the officers had some questions prepared for him. And according to police reports, this is (laughs) roughly how the conversation went. They asked him if he knew his wife hired a private investigator and that this investigator had evidence of his relationship with a woman Mm. from New Jersey. Richard was like, nope, never heard of her. No idea. Didn't know that. Mm -mm." And um, I call bullshit. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he knew about the private investigator, Um, but they asked why his wife would tell her friends that she was afraid to file for divorce and to check on her if something happened. Richard's reply was, quote, I cannot imagine her saying this. It is completely out of character for her to say, end quote. You would think that, wouldn't you, Richard? You would think right. that. So then they asked about the bedroom carpet that had allegedly been removed. Richard said it was because the, all all of the carpet and the rugs in the house were being removed and replaced. And he cut out pieces of the carpet two feet at a time, so that way it was easier to remove. That's not easier to remove, though. I didn't think so. Don't you just cut the edges no. and like literally just like rip yeah. it up? Yeah, that would be way more time-consuming. Okay, so strike one. Yeah, any, 
Actually, that's like strike 50, but yeah, continue. Yeah, well, they ask him several more questions. He has an answer for all of them. And then he wrote a one-page statement on his version of the story and was released again. But at this point, police had more questions than answers. They were zoning in. Yeah, and like for someone whose wife has been missing for nearly a month at this point, he seems a little less than concerned, which I think in the police's mind was like, "Mm, that's kind of weird. If it were me, I would be, you know, leading the search party and trying to do everything I could to find her or find who did this to her. Right, but, you know, according to Richard, she was on vacation in the Canary Islands with her friends. She just up and left. She went to visit her parents in Denmark. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, And remember, this is the, what, 80s. So time traveled a little bit. Things traveled a little bit slower back then. Yeah. Information. Yeah. But, you know, by this point in time, the media is catching wind of this. Good. And the police chief at the time said in an article for the Danbury News... Quote, at this point, we consider this to be a missing persons case, end quote. But Keith, the private investigator, said in the same story, I don't think she disappeared on her own accord. I'm concerned that they, the police, are going after this piecemeal, end quote. So police eventually find the carpet that Richard had disposed of in a local landfill. But after testing, the forensic examiner at the time said none of the stains tested positive for blood. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Which, as we get more into this, that surprises me a little bit. Um, But with pressure mounting from the public, Keith, a handful of Hella's friends, and her family, the case was transferred to the Connecticut State Police Department. Now, a detective from the Western District Major Crimes Unit took a deeper dive into Richard's whereabouts before his wife disappeared and was looking at his credit card bills. And on... On November 13th, he bought a large chest freezer at an appliance store for $375 Mm. and picked it up from said store on November 17th. What's the old saying? Follow the money? Yeah. And then he rented some type of machinery from Darien Rentals for $900. Was that the wood chipper, you think? We'll get there. Okay. (laughs) Hold on. So now it's Christmas Day, and police got a warrant to search the Crafts' home and found a few things. What a Christmas present. Merry Christmas. Well, yeah. keep in mind. So they get to the house to execute the search warrant. Yeah. The house was completely empty because Richard wasn't home. He had mm. taken the kids to Florida for the holidays. Mm. But according to the officers that were there that day, the the house was in complete disarray. Like the furniture was all messed up. There was dirty clothes everywhere. There was toys everywhere. You know, they like the several pieces of carpet from the floor in the bedroom were missing. Um, The kitchen was a mess. So among the charges on the credit cards they already knew about, they found receipts for new bed sheets, new blankets, and then they did confirm that the $900 rental charge on his credit card was for a wood chipper. And all in all, they logged 108 pieces of evidence. Wowza. Yeah. 
And the um, forensic examiner guy at the time, his name was, is Dr. Lee. He did luminol testing on various places in the house, and some of them tested positive for blood, most notably the stains on the side of the mattress. So upon further testing, they realized that the blood type was the same blood type as Hella's. So now the investigation is really picking up speed. Yeah, it's definitely not in a hooli manner, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Not at all. So investigators go back to the snowplow driver, who we mentioned last episode and early on in this episode. Yeah, he seems like a pivotal character in this yeah his name is joseph hine and he tells them that he saw richard in the middle of the night with a u-haul and wood chipper parked on the side of the road near um the housatonic river so he took investigators out to the area where he saw him that night and um this specific part of the river is known as lake zor mm-hmm and police, you know, were looking around and they noticed a bunch of wood chips along the banks of the river and what looked like small bits of green plastic, you know, that could have come from the wood chipper that could have came from, you know, kind of just like been there. But they pretty much were able to confirm that someone was out on this bridge with a wood chipper just flying wood chips towards the banks of the river. Yeah. During a blizzard. During a blizzard. Yeah, that is also very important. And it was like three o'clock in the morning. Right. So. Super sus. Super sus. So the first couple of detectives that were there are, you know, walking around out by the banks, looking through the wood chips. They are like on their hands and knees searching through this stuff and one of them found a piece of paper that um after they looked at it they discovered that it was mail addressed to hella oh and that's where they were really like oh shit there's a connection yeah i don't think i mentioned this because back when they did the second interview with um Richard, one of the questions that they asked them was why she wasn't getting any mail or if she was getting any mail. And he said, no, she must have changed her mailing address or like had started having her mail forwarded because she hasn't been getting any for weeks. Well, now we found out where the mail is. Yeah. Um, So uh, those investigators call in a team. They rope off the area as a potential crime scene. They found more mail addressed to Hella. Um, and it was like stamped within the time frame of when she was missing. So along with along with the wood chips, the mail, they also found blonde hair, bone fragments, fabric, cloth, Ooh. plastic, a fingernail with red nail polish, a tooth. Oh my god. What the fuck? Yeah. Right? Holy shit. Yeah. So detectives are searching the banks of the river for days. They are picking up whatever they can find, and no matter how small, and bringing it in to be 
tested because they don't know if it's if it's a rock, if it's a bone fragment, if it's something that's going to matter. And then they bring divers in to search the river, but it's December. It's cold as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So they aren't able to search the river too well, but they were able to find a chainsaw blade at the bottom of the river that had had the serial number filed off. But Ooh. it appeared that it had been not in the water for very long. So it had been recently put in the water. Yeah. So then detectives, meanwhile, head over to the place where Richard rented the wood chipper and wouldn't you know it, the exact machine he rented was there and taken mm. to have tests run on it. Ooh, and what did these tests find? Unsure. They had, oh. But all together, they found 2,660 660 strands of hair, 69 pieces of human bone, drops of human blood, two teeth, a piece of human skull, three ounces of human tissue, part of a finger, a fingernail, and part of a toe and toenail. Yeah. So, and you know what that you know what that adds up to? One missing person named Hella Crafts. Almost. But let's keep in mind that it's the late 80s, so DNA evidence certainly is not what it is today. Yeah, it was still in its infancy. Yeah. And, you know, they were able to type blood type match Hella to, like, the blood droplets. They were able to confirm that, like, the pieces of bone and hair and whatnot were human. But technically, technically, they didn't have a body. So it was going to be very tricky for them to charge Richard with murder. And wow. they really couldn't confirm for sure, for sure, that these pieces of human belonged to, to her. Hella. Because the only eyewitness testimony that they have that it was Richard on the bridge is a snowplow guy who was driving by at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of a blizzard. Right. And eyewitness testimony, as we know, isn't always 100%. Yeah. Um, and since there wasn't another person there to corroborate it, yeah, oh, I get it. Right. But let's circle back to that tooth that was found. It ended up being proven to be Hella's through dental records mm. because it had some very specific dental work done to it which dental records confirmed and yeah. the connecticut state medical examiner's office accepted this as evidence of her death and issued a death certificate boom boom so on january 11th 1987 Two months just about after Hella had gone missing, an arrest warrant was issued for Richard Crafts. Hell to the yes. Mm -hmm. Little Emily wasn't even born yet, but she would have been happy. I would have. <laughs> so police roll up to his house at about 9 p.m. They surround the place because they're rolling we up. Know yeah. 
Well, they knew that he had an arsenal of weapons. If you remember right. from part one, he had like dozens of guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. So they had to be thinking, okay, if this guy knows we're coming, he could start an all out, you know, war with us yeah. from his house. Yeah. So they stay outside and they're like, bro, come on out. Like direct quote. The- they said, bro, come on out. <laughs> The, the jig is up. Come on. The jig is up. This fucking guy, Andy, tells the police, I'm tired. I'll take care of it in the morning. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get to decide that. Yeah. The cops are like, nah. They're like, nah, bro. No, no. You come outside and surrender. Like, here's the thing. When I have some extra laundry in my dryer that I don't feel like folding, maybe I'll say, I'm too tired. I'll take care of it in the morning. Uh, but if it has to do with a fucking murder, no, you can't do that. Imagine being in your house, knowing your house is surrounded by police. They call you on the phone and they're like, hey, you got to come out. You got to surrender. You got to come in. And you're like, no, I'll be, I'll, I'll take care of it in the morning. <laughs> yeah. What? That, that, that's not your decision, dude. Imagine if you're one of his neighbors, you're, you're totally peeking through the blinds and watching all of this go down. Uh, I would I would be outside <laughs> vacuuming the grass. I don't. <laughs> when I lived in Illinois, some shit went down with my neighbors, and I was just like washing out the windows. Yeah. I was watching out the front door because that's like look directly at their house. You should have live streamed it. I should have. <laughs> So Richard's like, no, I'll take care of it in the morning. The cops are like, dude, no, you need to come outside now. And he screams at them, don't call me back. And he hangs up the phone. He hangs up the phone on the police who are outside of his house. (laughs) Unbelievable. So then the police keep trying to call him to get him to come outside and surrender. And he's just, he's like, no, decline, decline, decline. Like. Does he think at this point that, oh, they'll just go away and this is all just going to, you know, be over yeah, with? Yeah, well, he's probably thinking, I'm a cop. I'm a part-time cop. I was an auxiliary officer. Like, they'll just, they know me. They're cool. They'll just, they'll go. But then eventually, shortly after midnight, he answers the phone and is like, I'll be out in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> Five minutes. So he does. He walks out of the house. He surrenders, looking all disheveled, according to officers. And he was booked at um, the Bridgeport Jail, and his bail was set for a whopping So now the press has absolutely gone wild. They are descending from all over 
on this little tiny town in Connecticut. Yeah. So Richard's in jail. Police and prosecutors are really working on building their case against him for the trial. So now what they hypothesize happened is that Hella got home. Richard knocked her over the head with some type of blunt instrument in the bedroom shortly after she got home. And um, then he, he knocks her out, probably kills her. Um, by beating her in the head, carries her body into the basement and places her in the freezer. Then the next morning, if you remember from episode one at about six o'clock, he wakes up Don, um, the nanny and the kids and is like, Hey, we all need to go to my sister's house because there's no power from the big storm. And then, um, before Don and the kids go back to their house, Richard returns, takes his wife's frozen body out of the freezer trigger warning if you're squeamish it's it's gonna get gross um he uses the chainsaw to cut up her body oh my gosh Um, this reminds me of dexter yeah and then he much less meticulous though yeah and then he um wraps her frozen body pieces in some sort of plastic and puts them back into the freezer And then um, leaves them there. And then the next night, he loads up the freezer into the back of the U-Haul, hooks up the wood chipper, and then drives out to the river where he ran the pieces of his wife through the wood chipper, along with a lot of wood to hide the evidence and to kind of clean the wood chipper. I know that you asked earlier what type of evidence they found on the wood chipper. Yeah. And I don't think they found a, found much because, um, like, her body was frozen. So there wasn't, like, it's not like her blood was wet to stick, you know, like, to the sides. And then he put, he put so many pieces of wood through to kind of clean out whatever was, whatever pieces of her were, like, more or less left in there. But I think they did find some trace evidence on the wood chipper. I just didn't see what specifically it was. As they would say in the movie Fargo, oh, for Pete's sake. Oh, yeah, you betcha. Um, Anyway, so touching back on the massive media storm, the trial was moved to New London, Connecticut to kind of get away from the little town of Newtown. Um, so they wanted to ensure a fair trial, um, but Richard was already kind of in the midst of a trial by media, which we see it still happen today in big cases. Yeah. Anyway, so the trial begins and the prosecution is presenting their theories on what happened with the many pieces of evidence they have, um, Lots of experts were testifying, including Dr. Lee, who testified about all of the evidence that he collected and examined. And he said that of the pieces of bone collected, tissue, hair, and bone were all mixed together with the wood chips. And the same machine was used to cut up all of it. Yeah. So they did that by kind of matching the marks on the bone and the marks on the wood with the wood chipper and that what they did 
to kind of prove this is they they took that wood chipper into evidence, obviously, and they ran a pig carcass through it. Oh, my God. To kind of prove that, A, yes, you could run a human body through one of these, and B, this is like what it would look like and what would happen. I hope they didn't specifically kill a pig to do that. Unsure. And I hope it wasn't from the pig farmer killer, which you can find in previous episodes of Unnatural. Oh, my God. You weirdo. Shameless plug. Oh. <laughs> uh, Dr. Lee also said that from what he could see, some of the bone fragments were clearly, quote, cut with a heavy type cutting edge that produced a crushing and cutting force. Mm. Um, so what do wood chippers do? Yeah, they, they uh, do exactly they, what you just said. <laughs> they, they crush and cut. Yeah. Next. <laughs> also, during the trial was evidence suggesting that the chainsaw blade recovered at the bottom of the river had tissue on it that was human Ugh. and blonde hair oh and God. blue fibers and teeth were also located on the blade. And those blue fibers matched the carpet from their house. God, this poor woman. What a way to go out. I know. Well, I mean, I guess the the comfort that I find in it is that she was deceased long before she was cut up yeah. and put in a wood chipper. Right. Right. Analysts were able to restore the serial number that had been filed off um off of that chainsaw blade. Oh. And guess what? What's that? It matched a receipt that was given to police by Keith. And Keith had this receipt and many other receipts because Hella had given him a box of personal items and papers. And they were all Richards. Bingo. Bingo. Yep. We got him. So when they get to the teeth, a forensic odontologist testified that the tooth was removed from the mouth with quote traumatic force that sheared it off and took the bone with it in my opinion this fracture occurred by a blunt force that fractured it on the center line and took the jaw with it so that's why they think that she was more or less bludgeoned before um and like that's what killed her which if you remember when I said that they didn't, um, they didn't find evidence of blood on the carpet fibers. Like if she was bludgeoned, mm-hmm. you'd think there would be a lot of blood. But then at the same time, yeah. they couldn't find the blankets or sheets. So maybe that's, that's what, yeah, what absorbed it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the trial concludes on June twenty third. I think it was fifty two days was how long the trial lasted. Um, On the jury, there were nine men and three women who went to deliberate. And, you know, like I said, 100 witnesses testified. More than 650 pieces of evidence were presented. And um, on July 15th, 1988... A mistrial. Don't even fucking say that. No way. No way. Uh-huh. How? One fucking guy would, wouldn't wouldn't find him guilty. It was it was um, 10 to 1. This fucking guy had to be some or sort 11 of. 11 to 1, sorry. He had to be some sort of 
misogynist or something. I, I, I can't even fathom how the fuck you don't convict here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other jury members were pissed. Hella's friends and family are pissed. The public is pissed. Mm. Everyone is pissed, pretty much, except Richard and his camp. Yeah, and this one guy. But there's a second trial. Hopefully this guy isn't on it. <laughs> well, the second trial was essentially, for, uh, like on the prosecution side anyway, a replay of the first because they really, it's like they couldn't, they really couldn't do anything different. They did everything correct. They presented right. everything they had. So really. They had like, 100% the thing, of the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that was different was the jury and a different location as well. Um, the second trial was moved to Norwalk because of the sheer volume of media attention, sure. especially after the mistrial. Yeah, I imagine. So um, the second trial happens. And on November 21st, 1989, the jury returned with... I'm waiting. A guilty verdict. Okay. Yes. And I, I was so worried you were going to say mistrial again. No. Well, if you remember from episode one, this is the first homicide case in Connecticut that received a guilty verdict with technically no body. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So um, he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Hmm. Um, Not life in prison, huh? No, but Richard and his team tried to get an appeal in uh, 1993, but that was denied. And his team was like, well, the trial was unfair. All of the evidence was circumstantial. There was so much media attention. The first time was, was a mistrial. So, you know, the second time, even more media was out there. It wasn't fair, blah, 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 blah. And Richard, the fucking gem of a man, he is maintained, maintained that his wife simply disappeared and that she was still alive. I can't bullshit, buddy. Like this just goes to show, like the lie, like when somebody is in a lie how they will just stick to that lie, even though everybody fucking knows you're lying and yet you won't concede that you're lying. It just, yeah. Fucking dumb as hell. I can't, but um, as if... (laughs) As if? No, as if... As as Cher from Clueless would say. As if. (laughs) But, But no, really. As if we haven't been on... An emotional roller coaster enough as it is. Are you ready for this last little piece of what the fuck? There, how is there even another last little piece of what the fuck? Okay, what is it? Well, at the age of 82, Richard Crafts was released from prison. What? Okay, what year was this? Like, when did this happen? Um, January 2020. So Why like the fu- 32-ish years into his 50-year okay. sentence. So please tell me COVID got him a couple months later. 
As far as I could tell, he is still alive and living at a halfway house for veterans in Bridgeport. Why was he released? Okay. So I have the answer to that because clearly he didn't spend his 50 years in prison. No, not even close. It it should have been like 2040. Yeah. See what I'm doing to my hair right now? I'm so stressed. (laughs) And I left a lot of information and stuff out just for the sake of time, because I probably could have easily made this three parts if I told you everything. But um, he was released early because of an old sentencing law known as statutory good time. What the fuck does that mean? So while this law doesn't exist anymore basically but what it did was allow for a significant time off for prisoner sentences for good behavior and um like if they were good participants in prison jobs um and the law has to be applied at the time of sentencing and it was so that's why it was honored grandfathered in yeah yeah So, I mean, like, had this not been put in place, he would still, like, he would have to finish out his 50 years. Um, And he did have a couple, like, indiscretions or something against him while he was in prison because he started his prison sentence out at a maximum security prison. And then he was eventually transferred to a minimal security prison. Right. And it's, he was considered low risk. I mean, he had a couple incidents of having like contraband items. Which happens to all prisoners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like nothing that I could tell like major happened during his time in prison. So yeah, I mean, as far as I could tell, he's still at this halfway house for veterans. Wow. Unbelievable. Oh, and he got um, time served for the three years he was in jail between his initial arrest and sentencing. So it's it's like, was justice served? I mean, I know he was in prison for decades, but he should have been in prison for the rest of his life. So her family... Her close friends, I'm sure they don't feel like justice was served here. Yeah, I'm unsure. I couldn't find anything on the internet of reactions from her friends or family. I, I, safe to say, I don't know that any of her family is still living. Well, because right, she was right. an only child, so um, I assume her parents passed away long ago. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what happened to their children either so i think they would probably be the ones most affected by his release i would i'm i'm making assumptions here because i don't know but i would assume that they i mean they were really young when all of this happened yeah too and i would assume they probably don't have a relationship with their father Maybe they have forgiven him over time. Who knows? As far as I could tell, he never admitted to it. So, yeah. Mm. Thus concludes the story of Helicrafts. I guess it's a a bit of a downer. 
just the fact that he's still out there. I know he's in his 80s, as you said, but mm-hmm. still, he's out there and he's free. And it just doesn't feel right. No, I fully agree. When I first started researching this case, I, I, I mean, I kind of found out right along with you because I started my research with, um, you know, a couple books that came out not long after all of this happened, you know, a few years after he was sentenced to prison. So it wasn't until I really got into the heavy Googling that I realized, A, he was still alive and B, he had been released recently. Like, I don't wish harm upon any person. I'm more or less a pacifist myself, but, you know, if Omicron were to take him, I wouldn't feel terrible about it. If you also wouldn't feel terrible if Richard Crafts died a horrible, painful death, come tell us about it on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod. Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural a True Crime Podcast. You can also send us a Gmail, Unnatural the Podcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon page set up with bonus episodes, um, ad free episodes. You get your episodes early. There's behind the scenes content, more blooper reels than just what you see at the end of each episode. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. What are we doing next week, Andy? Well, actually, it's going to be the next two weeks because we've we've got another- Back-to-back two-parters? We do. We didn't plan this. It just kind of happened this way. I knew this was going to be a big case. I think I talked to you about this a few weeks ago. I watched this documentary and I wasn't intending on having this being one of our episodes, but I was just so enthralled with it. It came out in 2008 and the documentary is called Dear Zachary, A Letter to a Son About His Father. And the case revolves around Shirley Jane Turner. And no pun intended, it's got lots of twists and turns in it. And we're going to tell you all about it in the next two episodes of Unnatural. On that note... In the meantime, make good choices. And don't get got. imagine did you ever see those uh movies uh guardians of the galaxy oh yeah can you imagine if groot got put in the wood chipper poor poor thing <laughs> why would you say that i am Groot. you're a horrible, horrible i'm t- i don't know why <laughs> i like groot yeah same that's <laughs> how dare you my favorite was the raccoon though i did like the raccoon yeah On that note, (laughs) that is, look, I know you've told me before not to put your burps in the outtakes, but I'm sorry. That is fucking going in the outtakes. That was a good one, though.
I'm so excited And I just can't hide it I know, I know, I know, I know I just got one of those spam texts Listen to this The president just approved the U.S. home stimulus To get yours, click the link lettertrickery.com Click it! Come on! You're supposed to! No That does sound like my place, minus the carpet part. Do you also have blood smears on the side of your mattress? It's a long story, okay? Gross. Murderer. Okay, so they got him. Mm. Mm. Just, How do they not have him? I don't get this. Just, just, just wait. Okay. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting way way too far ahead that's what she said Mm. you said no more of those jokes in 2022 and then i said i was lying 